This podcast represents my opinion and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I am not establishing a patient-physician relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions you may have. Welcome back, everyone. We're here for another episode of the Not Your Doc podcast. This is actually going to be our uh, last episode for 2022. And we'll be back in the new year with some new content. But we want to get everybody a chance to listen to the previous 12 episodes that we've done. Can you believe we've done that many, Dr. Tadros? Sorry to believe we slipped them in. We slipped them in. It was, it, it's, once we got started, we, it went fast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we have so much more uh, in the tank. It was hard to limit ourselves to just this these topics so far. So, yeah. how's everything with you this week? Very well. Another. Uh, it's uh, thank God for global warming because uh, this <laughs> is the warmest uh, I've ever been in in November. In, in November. Er, in early November. Yeah. Lord help us. It's going to drop like fifty degrees tomorrow. Yes. Though. Yeah. It's. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm gosh. sure. I'm sure my house will start creaking and popping. Yep. Goodness gracious. Thank goodness for global warming. Oof. Okay. All right, so um, today's topic is a heavy one. Um, we're going to talk about suicide. I know that discussion about suicide can be very triggering for some folks. So if you need to turn off the podcast for now and return to it when you're more emotionally and mentally prepared to listen um, or you're with someone who makes you feel safe, please do that. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide and needs immediate help, please call 988, or you can text 988 as well, uh, which is the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline that launched this summer throughout the United States. Um, you'll be con- connected with someone immediately in your state who can help you stay safe and find resources. And that number is 988. So... If you've chosen to continue on with us today, it's likely that you fall into one of two categories with regard to suicide. And these are just categories that I make made up thinking about who might be listening today. Um, you either have personally felt suicidal or attempted suicide, or you've been impacted by or know someone who has felt attempted or completed suicide. Many times people can fall into both of these categories, Um, you know, having experienced suicidal thoughts yourself and also knowing someone who's been affected by suicide. Some people listening today may feel that they have neither felt suicidal nor known anyone impacted by suicide, and that's perfectly okay too. Um, It's likely that even if you don't think you know someone who's been impacted by suicide, that you really do and just haven't heard about it. Our purpose today is to speak to the lived experience of people who struggle with suicide, um, including the many people who feel afraid to open up about it at all, um, which there are plenty of us out there, and to provide some information for those who wish to support people they love Mm -hmm. who may at some point deal with suicidal thoughts. So um, in our work at Midwest Institute for Hearts and Minds, <clears throat> where we use ketamine to treat patients with severe depression, anxiety, PTSD, a whole host of mental health concerns, we encounter many, many people who struggle with suicidal thoughts or have attempted suicide. 
Um, Dr. Tadros will speak more to this, of course, but some of our patients deal with chronic, persistent, and disabling thoughts of suicide. Um, the, the burden of those persistent thoughts can be absolutely unbearable. Um, and we know from our practice, too, that attitudes about suicide, how people think about suicide, vary, varies widely uh, among cultural, religious, and regional groups of people. Um, some cultures feel like it's completely taboo. You can't speak about it at all or that it's a sign of weakness if you struggle with suicide or sin. Um, the, and, and then other groups of people are, you know, very fluent in language about mental illness and are, you know, open to talking about these kinds of things. It really varies. The overarching pattern that we see, though, is that many more people struggle with thoughts of, thoughts of suicide than feel comfortable talking about it or asking for help. And the families and loved ones of people who think about or attempt suicide often feel lost, um, sometimes angry and confused about how to help. So I want to anchor this conversation, and I think Dr. Tadros is with me on this, that we want to anchor this in a hopeful intention. Absolutely. So let me just start by saying, if you are listening to this podcast and you felt suicidal or attempted suicide, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. Your pain is real. Your desire to be free or find relief from your pain is valid, and you deserve love and non-judgmental support through that tough time. Um, on the other side of the coin, if you're listening to this podcast and you know someone who is struggling with thoughts of suicide and you feel lost or you know don't know how to help, you're not alone either. Your fears and frustrations are valid. You have not failed your loved one who is struggling, and there is absolutely support and information available to help you navigate this difficult time. Dr. Tadros, before we get into it further, will you reiterate our intention today to offer context and compassion, um, as well as to help equip people with some information that they can help them? Yes, thanks. Thank you uh, for introducing this topic, Vanessa. You know, people... Um, First of all, like a lot of things in life that are this dramatic and this um, permanent, sometimes mm. um, people can't believe what they're what they're hearing, seeing, whether somebody's telling them that they're going to be, that they think about suicide. They're overwhelmingly sad um, that they've tried to uh, commit suicide. Um, some people's automatic, including mine, sometimes if I'm caught off guard, is automatic is to deny. Sure. Is to say I, it, it can't be, you know, not you, mm -hmm. and I can't believe that you're telling me this. And of course, all the positive stuff, why why people should not be suicidal, why they should not be depressed, why they should not have tr attempted, why, mm -hmm. what, you know, all the all the positive. Then, they, then the anger and then the negative is like you would have hurt so many people and, yeah. and you have so much to live for. Um, so this includes everybody. This is professionals and, 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 and parents and, and, um, and everybody that, uh, that we're going to talk to, teachers. Um, it's, 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 uh, Part of it is I, I tend to rehearse things in my own mind and then tuck them away because I'm, I'm a healthcare professional. So I don't have what I call the oh shit face, you know, the, the shock and awe whenever somebody tells me something or I think I hear something uh, that I, my shock and awe, my, my, uh, my um, disdain for what they're saying, my disbelief, um, 
And so what I do is practice for myself. And that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about. But we're here to support everybody, people who are suicidal, people who have previously been suicidal, uh, uh, people who love the people who are, are, are suicidal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here to support everybody, including mental health professionals and other professionals that sometimes <clears throat> become overwhelmed because they take care of so many of us that they themselves uh, are uh, kind of start feeling like some of their clients, some of their patients. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think before you know, really getting into the nitty gritty of what it what it feels like and what uh, warning signs there are in prevention techniques, can you tell us, give us like a brief epidemiology about suicide? Tell us some things about the scale of the problem of suicide in the U.S. And yeah, sure. Um, I never, I don't have a head for numbers, at least not ones that I can memorize and, and keep memorized. But this is some of the more recent data. Um, and, uh, and for our uh, our website, we'll have links to some of the stuff that yeah. we're talking about so that you can go look up uh, some of the literature that we're, we're quoting. In the United States, I think this is in the last couple of years, this is fairly current data. Last, uh, how many suicide attempts? We call it about suicide attempts versus completed suicide. Everybody thinks that suicide is somebody who passes away by their own hand, uh, by their own will. Uh, but it's actually suicide attempts, uh, 3,700 uh, each and every day in the United States, not the world, not in, in, over the year, every single day, 3,700 suicide attempts in the United States. In the St. Louis metropolitan area, about 2,000 people. That's, it runs from East St. Louis all the way to far west county and beyond. Uh, that's about 25 suicide attempts per day in the metro area of 2 million people wow. here in St. Louis. And uh, that comes out uh, about uh, about... 342 suicide attempts, uh, well, uh, 304, uh, that comes out to uh, 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 that's every every day of every year. And what it comes out to be about, uh, and these go on to the people who complete the suicides, uh, we're, we're, we're going to end up with about 340 in the metropolitan area per year. So uh, it's, not a, it's not a small number. If you think about it, bus loads of people or plane loads of people, right. it kind of brings it home. How many people attempt uh, in the metropolitan area? How many people complete? Uh, and, uh, uh, and certainly people talk about suicide in a variety of ways. And, um, uh, um, uh, suicide pacts, uh, people who uh, commit um, uh, uh, heinous crimes and then commit suicide afterwards. But uh, but we're going to be talking about the, the the more typical suicidal person that we see in our clinic that I've seen over thirty years in my in my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, uh, by the way, the age group is a, a, a humongous range. Um, so uh, from the very young, these are mm-hmm. people in grade school, all the way to uh, elderly folks that are in their eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it it impacts everybody. Yeah. I think it's important to point out, too, that the figures that we have about attempted suicides and completed suicides are, you know, largely dependent on police reports and emergency room Mm -hmm. visits and stuff like that. So these numbers could be a lot higher um, as far as attempts go. That's right. And uh, so attempts sometimes are not obviously they're not reported. It doesn't go to the emergency room. Uh, Police are not called, et cetera. So uh, sometimes even kids won't tell their parents that they tried to Mm -hmm. take a bunch of pills. So some of these numbers, these are ones that are confirmed. Uh, So you're right. It's not going to be lower than these numbers are going to be higher. Sure. So, um, you know, some additional data. And this is all coming from the um, Association for Suicide Prevention. um, Mm -hmm. And we're going to link to their website. And there's more on this, too. So obviously, you know, men are much more likely to complete suicide. Um, and women are much more likely to attempt. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, one key indicator for that is men are much more likely to use more lethal means. So a firearm, for example, much more likely to use a firearm to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the um, success rate would be higher with something like a firearm versus a drug overdose or a drowning or something like that. Yes. Um, it's likely that if women were, you know, using firearms at the same rate that men were, that there would be a lot more completions for women too. That's correct. Um, overall, middle-aged white men are the most likely to die by suicide. And, um, there's also very high rates among young people and the very old as well. Um, attempts are more likely, um, to happen among younger people. Uh, however, suicide rates continue to be high for, you know, middle ages as well as into very old, you know, 70s, 80s, even people committing suicide. So it really affects a broad swath of people. That's correct. Okay. So, um, what is, is going on in, in the life and the brain of someone who's considering suicide? Can you, can you help us contextualize that and conceptualize what's going on? I uh, I may flip back and forth between kids and 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 teenagers and adults but we'll talk about adults first. Mm-hmm. Um so the vast majority probably 90% are probably of these people who are contemplate and are attempt suicide are oftentimes have a diagnosable mental health condition depression uh and bipolar depressed um are the probably the most likely diagnoses. So these people are diagnosable there are many people that are depressed in, in the United States and the world, but it doesn't mean that most of them are uh, will think about suicide, let alone attempt or complete suicide. But this gives us a hint that people with mental health conditions, anxiety, depression, bipolar, depressed, um, schizophrenia, et cetera, can can be the ones that uh, that um, that that have mental health conditions that oftentimes have required therapy, talk therapy, medications over time. And oftentimes when they go see their therapist or their psychiatrist <clears throat> routinely, uh, they'll be asked, uh, you know, suicidal thoughts uh, as part of the routine. Of, of uh, But that's not always, and it's not, and if they skip out on, on visits, um, and nowadays with more virtual visits, sometimes things are a little more, uh, some things are skipped uh, are skipped than a routine visit when there would it be a medical assistant or a nurse or somebody to ask or screen the person. Uh, so it's important to recognize that that we can find the root cause for a large chunk of these adults. Um, huh. And uh, that's kind of where things start. Term. So, um, you know, uh, again, citing the same place as before, the, um, uh, so there is, there's good reporting, good statistics that for 90% of completed suicides, um, those people had a diagnosable mental health condition at the time of their suicide. So mm-hmm. we're not talking about a slight correlation between mental illness and suicide. We're talking about a pretty strong correlation mm-hmm. between mental health issues and suicide, um, which certainly indicates that there is something disrupted or going wrong in the thought patterns or you know brain processes mm-hmm. in people's minds, right? Yes. So um, can you can you talk about how that the sense of hopelessness and helplessness kind of typifies suicidal ideation? Yeah, all of us go through difficulties in our lives. All of us go through hardships, sometimes brief, sometimes unexpected, sometimes uh, long term. Um, 
And not everybody who has hardships has becomes depressed. Mm-hmm. Not everybody who has hardships becomes uh, drinks too much. Not everybody who becomes depressed uh, thinks about suicide or right. becomes uh, or has hardships has. Uh, so we want to clarify what's frequent or common versus what's normal. Mm. Uh, it's normal to have hardships and actually ask for help and and uh, and sit down whenever things are getting worse and worse that sense of hopelessness and helplessness and that's two important things hopelessness um and, and uh, this is uh, that anything could get better mm-hmm. um and then uh, helplessness that they the person can't fix it themselves or ask for somebody else to, uh, for help for fixing it they feel very alone and isolated in their thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. um so uh that's part of what we also see in kids uh, so the kids also will uh, uh, not necessarily verbalize it like adults, uh, but they feel responsible uh, for certain things, whether the parents are getting a divorce, et mm-hmm. cetera, or their their friend has been uh, is uh, is uh, been suicidal and kind of confiding in the in the in the kid and the in the child themselves. So we we run into this stuff where people are feel helpless and hopeless. They can't open up uh, for whatever reason. They don't think that there anybody would listen. Anybody would believe mm-hmm. that it's um, that it would start uh, a, a, a cascade of, uh, of questions and problems and sometimes reprimands and anger. Yeah. So all these things. So that's, a, that's, a, that's the, the problem. So it starts with helplessness and hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it starts you know, very young. Sure. I think, um, you know, so just to re- recap what you just said. So, you know, hopelessness meaning that the, the perception that there is, is no way out there's right. no there's no relief there's no solution there's no possible remedy for this feeling or nothing that's acceptable to the, the person sure and then helplessness that there's nothing that the person can do to help themselves and nothing that anyone else can do to help them right right so it's kind of a combination of those two things yes Leading. and um uh, and you know a typical person who's not depressed etc they may go through phases like this but mm-hmm. they know to you know that it's not realistic thinking that they they can't ask for help etc right. but somebody who's already depressed this this kind of feeds into what uh, how their brain already sees the world yeah uh, so that's part of what happens uh, and so these are things that uh, uh, that we see too often later late late whenever you question somebody later after their suicide attempt sure uh, so absolutely. So I think that, um, you know, it's important to make the distinction, too, and we kind of brought this up earlier, that, you know, um, the hopelessness and helplessness kind of um, thought cycle can be triggered by mental illness. It can be triggered by a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also be, you know, a chronic and persistent, um, you know, rumination or obsession in someone's mind, mm-hmm. um, despite, you know, seemingly happy life circumstances or good support or plenty of money or whatever. Right. So it's impossible to tell just from looking at someone's set of circumstances in life. Mm -hmm. Um, if they like, you know, objectively meet some criteria for who's going to commit suicide, it's all about, um, you know, that hopelessness, helplessness cycle inside of their brain and how they perceive their situation to be. That's right. And as you and I have talked, you know, some people feel alone in a room full of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is inter- this is their their internal conversation. Uh, it's not necessarily what's reality, not what the rest of us would mm-hmm. see if we, we hung out with them for a day or two. But it's their internal perception. And that's and it's very hard for people to you can't read their mind. Sure. And that's part of the problem. We, we're not mind. No matter even medical professionals, healthcare professionals, mental health professionals are not mind readers. That's why we have to talk to people. Right. Um, and so uh, that's 
That's the first thing. And absolutely, some of the triggers, if somebody who's predisposed, some of the triggers and more immediate triggers uh, include uh, work-related stress, like, mm. uh, you know, everything from sh- during the coronavirus, during the pandemic, um, losing their jobs, financial stress, legal issues, criminal, bankruptcy, child custody, um, loss of a home, divorce, mm-hmm. loneliness, and isolation. So this can be physical, emotional this is where sometimes where we get to people, especially the older folk who lose their partner or spouse. Right. Uh, grief. Uh, grief is normal, but some people who are already depressed, grief is uh, just the uh, uh, last straw to break the camel's back. Mm-hmm. This loss of a spouse, partner, child, sibling. Physical illness. So people who are physically ill, more yeah. de- debilitated, uh, are, are, are at risk, including people who have chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Chronic pain alters <clears throat> our uh, central nervous system. Uh, uh, that almost everybody with chronic pain will eventually have an affective or mood or mood-related issues, sometimes sleep issues, et cetera. Loss of independence, physical, cognitive, this is after a stroke, uh, et cetera, where you have to rely on somebody else for basic activities of daily living, cleaning yourself, feeding yourself, driving. Uh, Certainly people who've had previous suicide attempts are at risk of, uh, of repeat suicide attempts. People, of course, as we mentioned, are who depressed, bipolar depressed, People who are much more severe in the psychoses and schizophrenia, mm-hmm. uh, people with generalized anxiety, people, uh, this was something we should probably do a whole podcast about. I firmly believe after listening to people for many years, a lot of people in their childhood had generalized anxiety. Mm. They may have depression, they may have all sorts of other things, oppositional defiant. But the misdiagnosis of anxiety, anxiety as a youngster mm-hmm. tends to parlay into uh, uh, phobias, fear, unrealistic fears, right. panic, uh, and avoidance and eventually depression, sometimes substance abuse, et cetera. Um, certainly can happen with AD, ADHD, but I think we seriously miss a lot of anxious kids. We misinterpret some of their signs, their, their oppositional defiant, their anger, mm. their substance abuse, their tattoo, getting tattoos. A lot of these people have a lot of um, uh, anxious uh, issues that show up in different ways. Um, certainly panic disorder. These are physical symptoms of anxiety. Feel like you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Eating disorders are increased risk for suicide. Um, uh, gender dysphoria, transgender mm-hmm. uh, uh, people. Uh, trauma and abuse. People who have had PTSD or having PTSD are increased risk for suicide. Right. Addiction or substance abuse, including alcohol, like we mentioned in a recent podcast. Personality disorders. Those are some of the stuff. So it, as you can imagine, this covers a lot of what people go through uh, whether it's you or your loved ones or friends or family. Um, I would like to point out that not everybody has to be depressed in order to commit suicide. Sure. So what happens sometimes when youngsters who don't have a carry diagnosis, sometimes there's a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend um, uh, or a, ce- a celebrity uh, commits suicide. Uh, some of these youngsters especially will have impulse uh, uh, attempt to, to commit suicide. So it's not long-standing history of depression, sure. et cetera. But sometimes impulsive in the moment decision. Right. Sure. Yeah, so something that the rest of us may look at and say, this is small, this is trivial. It's not for a youngster who doesn't have perspective, yeah. um, you know, the first boyfriend, et cetera. Uh, so that's, that's, so I, we, talk about, we talk about depression, anxiety, and bipolar disease as big risk factors for adults. But I like to remind people that, that people sometimes have that impulse yeah. that gets us into trouble. Absolutely. Um, kind of, you know, piggybacking off of that, I think that a... a I'm going to talk a little bit personally here and also about some of the things yes. that I've learned in my own therapy. So um, I, I've i had two 
like, well, I've had multiple episodes of feeling suicidal throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had one attempt when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was around 20, I was, I had a plan for another attempt, but instead of going through with it, I went inpatient, like right at the right time. So mm-hmm. thankfully, um, I, you know, I got the help and support that I needed. Um, I want to talk about like what was going on in my brain at that time and sort of um, how it ties into some things that I've learned through cognitive behavioral therapy, which Mm -hmm. is that um, depression, whatever it is that, you know, the misfiring of synapses or whatever it is in the brain that's causing depression, the biological factors that are outside of my control. one of the the big hallmarks of you know anxiety or depression are thought distortions right Mm -hmm. where we um me specifically i would uh be i would have be telling myself and reinforcing messages constantly that were not necessarily true so um and not things that i just wanted to, to to lie about or blow out of proportion but sort of this persistent thought going on that I was worthless, Mm -hmm. um, that I could never achieve enough, Mm -hmm. um, that I am a burden, that I am incapable of taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I am incapable of being in control of my life or um, my destiny or any of those things. Some of it's Mm -hmm. more existential. Some of it's more in the moment. Um, Those thought distortions can actually become um, can can also tie into suicidal thinking because you can you can sort of adopt this person I call it a persistent delusion basically which mm-hmm. is that not only would would suicide would taking my own life and you know these the, the terrible you know things that are going on in my head all the time the rumination the um, you know just the the self hatred the pain that I was experiencing not only would suicide take care of those things but the I had a deluded thought process in thinking that it would also be the right thing to do mm-hmm. that taking my life was the just thing to do mm-hmm. that it would be the responsible thing to do for those who are burdened by my existence or who are hurt by my behavior mm-hmm. um and i think when we're able to for me any but anyway when i when i hear of other people's suicides or i you know read about other suicides that Knowing that experience, I just immediately go back to how much I realize now that I could not trust what my brain was telling me mm-hmm. when I was very sick. Yes. And that is, you know, that's part of the scary part of, of depression depression and people who are experiencing suicidal ideation or considering suicide is um, that it often can be a, a logical or to them be a logical decision to mm-hmm. this logical solution to a problem, a moral solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, really the only thing to be done in those circumstances is, you know, for the person that's experiencing those persistent delusions to, um, be able to confide in someone that can help them mm-hmm. momentarily decide to not trust their brain Mm-hmm. And reach out to their support system and get help right. um, to deal with those thoughts. Yeah. So yeah. you please, and I talked. Yeah. You and I have talked about this before. The same brain that gets you to gets good grades and co- people compliment you on how great you do on projects mm-hmm. and 
how good of a how good of an athlete the same brain that does all these things that your girlfriend likes your boyfriend likes you mm-hmm. it's the same brain that tells you you're worthless things are hopeless you're better off dead right so that's it's uh how what do you think made the difference for you was it was it was it cognitive behavioral was it what made the difference whenever you had the aha moment said yeah i can trust my brain up to a point but not 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 when it says these things um i was i was older in Mm -hmm. my in my 20s or so so after both of the attempts really is when some of this started to click in yes um i you know i i knew that I couldn't always trust how I was feeling, but, um, yeah, it took, it, you know, it, it took a couple of episodes of these feelings Mm -hmm. and for me learning to deal with them in ways other than attempting to hurt myself. Right. Mm Um, you know, part of it was sort of like the, the stick effect of having been impatient twice, knowing that I didn't want to be impatient again. So maybe if I, you know, if I knew that the alternative to, killing myself or continuing in that cycle was to be inpatient again. Like maybe I need to get mm-hmm. some support with this earlier on. Yes. Um, you know, it's taken me all the way through now to realize that, you know, when I'm, when I'm depressed, those thought distortions show mm-hmm. up in a bunch of different areas of my life. I don't see myself um, as I truly am. I don't see my husband as he truly is. I don't see our relationship as right. it truly is. It's harder for me to, um, be, you know, rational and even killed in how mm-hmm. I look at anything, right. you know, um, the, the anger and irritability yeah, and other things, all yes. of that. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, that was, um, being able to identify that those things were thought distortions was definitely the first step. And then mm-hmm. learning to do something to, you know, correct the thought distortion or at mm-hmm. least distract myself from the discomfort and anxiety mm-hmm. that it brought me. Um, was ultimately what helped the most. I, I tell people that an alien has invaded their brain or a parasite has invaded their brain yeah. and set up house to, to do these things. Yeah. And it's not really you. Mm-hmm. It's an outside force that's uh, that's kind of worked into your brain. Yeah. Just to give people an idea that it's not the real them. Yeah. And when, uh, with some medicine or some talk therapy, sometimes literally I had a police, this is early in my practice, I had a police officer that wanted to use a service pistol to shoot himself and two weeks of pack literally two weeks of paxil and it, it he was like what was i thinking yeah it, it just that's all the difference between police officers working and, and 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 doing good job two weeks after medicine same guy same working same same uh, saying what the heck was i thinking yeah. and that's how that's how that's the unfortunate that's the scary part about life is that that's the difference between being depressed and suicidal versus not being depressed. Sometimes it's only two weeks. Sure. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's only you know a, se- a couple of sessions mm-hmm. with a therapist or a minister, and so that's that's the scary part because that's that lo- sense of loss for the adults, the parents, who, uh, who of us who've lost somebody. Uh, the, the, you know we talk about <clears throat> senseless loss. Well, sure. all in my opinion, all losses are senseless, yeah. uh, whether in, in war or in, in dep- with these uh, loved, loved loved ones who are depressed and commit suicide. Um, so part of this is I, I there's nothing in the textbook you'll hear me say it over and over in podcasts. There's nothing in the textbooks that say we give up on anybody right. in terms of depression. <laughs> these are not terminal diseases. Absolutely. So it's, it's it feels like a terminal disease, and yeah. people would say I'd rather have a broken bone or cancer yeah. than have this unending relentless depression and suicidal thoughts Absolutely. people actually compare it to that yeah that's how bad it is just to let you know yeah um but uh right 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 setting right right people to help you mm-hmm. uh, right sometimes medications oftentimes medications especially early on life-changing 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, just to, to grab on to that kernel of hope again that you just mentioned there that, you know, so feeling suicidal or no or someone who is feeling suicidal does not mean that suicide for that person is inevitable. Right. It can be prevented. It can be and and treatment can work to help that person be lifted out of that thought process and out Absolutely. of that mindset. Absolutely. Um, which makes it all the more critical for us to, you know, as people who love other people who struggle um, for us to be able to recognize the signs and symptoms of suicide and then intervene in an appropriate and loving and helpful and non-judgmental ways. And so that's really what we're going to talk about the next half of this. Right. Absolutely. As, as, as you and I talked earlier today, I, I harp, my word harp, mm-hmm. I, I talk, although whenever I see somebody who's depressed, suicidal, addicted, I also look at the person who loves them and cares for them, et cetera, and say, we need to work with you yeah. about your issues and not only your own issues, whether it's their own depression, anxiety, whatever, ADHD, mm-hmm. but also the response to the person who's depressed and stuff. So, yeah. so it's not their own issues, but also the response to the person who's, uh, who's also who's the primary person in front of me that needs help. Sure. And I think, um, you know, having, we all have this responsibility to one another to be, um, open to the idea of learning new skills and learning new ways to think about suicide Mm -hmm. and think about people who are going through episodes of feeling suicidal. Um, because it's not, it's not just a, the job of medical professionals to rescue these people. A lot of this is about just a a listening ear, Mm -hmm. a trustworthy person, a private conversation. Those, you know, even one conversation like that can change a life. So that's that's really what we want to bring to light here. So, um, now that we know uh, kind of what's frequently going on in people's minds, some of the um, events that can trigger suicidal episodes, some of the diseases that can trigger suicidal episodes, um, let can you talk us through, Dr. Tadros, the, um, how to recognize talk mm-hmm. and behaviors that might indicate that someone is thinking about suicide? Yeah, I, I woke up this morning and just started typing because uh, I guess my brain was stewing over, mm-hmm. over overnight. This is over many years of, 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 of watching people, taking care of people. Um, and, and Vanessa will jump in. I'll, I'll mix this up a little bit uh, in terms of how thoughts and, and internal conversations. And you and I talk about this. People have intrusive thoughts and internal conversations. Yeah. Uh, this, is not, this is not hallucinations. These are not voices from above mm-hmm. or anything like that. This is the self-talk. And uh, for a lot, a lot of people, it's, it's a continuous din. It's never ending. Right. That's why it's hard to meditate or go to sleep is because they have a, a conversation in their head all the time about whatever, mm-hmm. their worries about tomorrow, the crap that they did in the past mm-hmm. is wrong, how many people hate them what's due to you know right. what's due on their schedule my mom so, calls it a negative tape right a negative thought right track yep it's uh, i call it the din or the hum or the noise yeah. um so we talked about the hopelessness and helplessness that people sense uh the other things are, are, are include um uh that these people send out signals uh, in a variety of ways they talk about or increase talking about suicide. So if they've talked about suicide in the past, they increase talking about it. And this is not everybody, it's not every time, but this is some of the stuff that people can listen for, watch for, uh, for their friends and family, and check themselves. This mm-hmm. is important to check yourself. So increased uh, talk uh, or start talking about suicide. Talk about how overwhelmingly sad they are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes one of my one of our our patients, uh, she had a friend, uh, also a police officer, who was talk- always talking to her about how overwhelmingly and un- unrelentingly sad she was before mm. she she uh, uh, committed suicide recently. Um, 
talk about being a burden to others. You mentioned that, mm-hmm. that that you're not being functioning well through the depression, anxiety, whatever, your alcoholism, mm-hmm. that you're not functioning. You recognize other people having to carry you and having to, yeah. to, 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 to shoulder some, some of your responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you're a burden, that the only way out is suicide. Right. You um, take up too much space, too many resources. Right. Uh, talk about uh, not going to be missed. That 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 mm. that people uh, are you're 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 empty. You're you're a ghost here, and you therefore no reason for you to exist. Uh, they sometimes idealize other people's suicide. If mm. they have friends or family or even a you know a celebrity's uh, suicide, they'll idealize how much attention they've they, they've gotten. Uh, people talk about how alone they are. The old uh, the old saying, alone in a room full of people. How tired, how emotionally spent they feel, physically and emotionally spent. Uh, they can't get excited about anything. Mm, yep. uh, you know, grandkids, uh, parties, uh, gifts, etc. They feel what we call very flat. They feel dead inside. Um, they talk about uh, they talk about death specifically, or going to sleep for a long time, or going away. Mm. So euphemisms besides death. Right. Um, uh, they wonder how, how death may feel, uh, and they think maybe maybe restful. It'd be untroubled. Uh, so they f- think of of death kind of like a, a, a forced rest sure. uh, from the the, the, the responsibilities and the and the worries, the stuff that they're having to shoulder. Becomes romanticized in comparison Bingo. to the reality of their life. That's correct, and it's not. Of course, it's a permanent. Uh, it's a, as they say, it's a permanent fix for for a temporary problem i know mm. that people think that even though they've been suffering for months and sometimes years for mm-hmm. it's temporary compared to your the whole uh, arc of your life uh some people will give away some of their treasured belongings if they know that you like you like their guitar they'll give you their guitar yeah and so and so this so the old fashion this is a med school this is the old thing that uh, fashion where people start giving away stuff um that's a so one of the signs that mm-hmm. they've kind of made a plan uh, to commit suicide, um, they start isolating by they stop socializing, responding to emails, texts. Um, these people sometimes, oftentimes, will have difficulty concentrating. That would show up as what we call psychomotor slowing. So mm. the brain thinking and movement, psychomotor slowing. So it shows up as a drop in school grades, drop in school performance, drop drop in work performance. Mm. So somebody who's a good student or always shows up on time or always participates, all of a sudden they're not showing up, they're not participating. Uh, their their grades drop off. <clears throat> sometimes that's because of drugs and alcohol and other things. Sometimes it's because people are so severely depressed and with severe depression pushing them into the suicidal range. Uh, some people stop social media. Some people, of course, increase social media to talk about their suicidal right. plans. Bingo. Uh, but some people, this, that's another way, because this comes from all so much energy. And these people oftentimes will have tons of lack of energy to do stuff for mm-hmm. themselves. Uh, they they uh, they break up with their friends and partners. Uh, they uh, they sometimes stop seeing their their favorite family members, grandkids, um, and a lot of people towards the end will have uh, hygiene problems. They'll stop brushing their teeth, combing their hair, shaving, showering, laundering their clothing. So they start looking uh, like like a haggard person because yeah. emotionally they're haggard. Yeah. Um, and and it's uh, a, what's the point? Yes, sort of feeling. Sure. and it takes energy to do mm-hmm. these things. Uh, some of these people will have weight loss because they'll stop eating, they'll lose their appetite whenever they're severely depressed. 
Um, they sometimes will become more irritable, just like you said. Some people become very depressed they become, because it takes energy to be polite, takes mm-hmm. energy to smile. They become more irritable and angry. Um, they, they stop, <clears throat> they miss appointments. So sometimes physicians and nurse practitioners and, nurse, and PAs, where you, you have a, routine, a person who routinely comes to see you mm-hmm. and never is always on time or early, all of a sudden they don't call and they all of a sudden don't show. Um, and that's happened several times where they said the nurse or nurse or physician's assistant or say, Hey, so-and-so is not here. Let's call. And they find out that they're, you know, at home suicidal or home with other medical right. emergency. Right. Um, uh, and then, uh, the final event, this is the, the, the idiosyncratic thing that, the, that the, once the person has made a plan or decision to commit suicide, they may suddenly look calm at peace or happy because now they're not straddling the fence. Should I do it? Should I not? Now right. they've made a plan. Um, and now there's a little sense of peace that comes uh, uh, about. They won't go back, and, and they're not peaceful in the sense that right. things are great. They're at peace that they that they finally decided to to commit suicide. So some people say, well, you know, it was bad, and then I met, and I saw him, and he was kind of looked like a placid, calm, kind of a half smile. Mm-hmm. And the answer is that might be the worst uh, signal right there. Yeah. Wow, that's intense stuff. So. T- Talk and behaviors, including mood, um, all can be indicators. Mm-hmm. Dr. Tadros, can you talk to us some about how this manifests differently in children and adolescents? So I don't, I don't take care of children specifically, but we we certainly have seen kids, and I've uh, for my primary care practice and and for um, for ketamine, we'll see them down to age fifteen. Uh, so kids are not the same as adults. It's very inefficient to talk to youngsters, and we'll talk grade school all the way up through 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 you know high school. Kids don't make appointments and have a, mm-hmm. an agenda and a plan. And, you know, I know I've got my copay and I've got to get some stuff done. So kids are not just small adults. They're, they have to really ha- see pediatric and adolescent psychiatrists and and, and, psych- and therapists that are attuned to their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, they're lumped in. They, they lumped in. Some, a lot of ERs don't have pediatric uh, ERs. They're lumped in with the adults and stuff like that. But kids, um, uh, uh, you know, a lot of stuff starts much earlier. We, we talk about the genetic tendency for depression and some epigenetic stuff that happens while the, the mom is pregnant, et cetera. Household tensions, mm-hmm. financial, emotional, uh, uh, other other things, drug, drug abuse in the household, et cetera. So the kids pick up a lot of stuff. If they're predisposed to depression, uh, they pick up a lot of stuff in their environment, a mm-hmm. lot of stuff that's happening with their loved ones, whomever's taking care of them, whether it's relatives or, uh, or parents, et cetera. Um, and kids tend to fill in gaps with the, the information that they have with their, their their young mind. So if the parents are arguing and you, you hear it through the door and they're arguing night after night, the kid doesn't say, hey, there must be something between two adults or yeah. dad's drinking or mom's drinking. They actually start internalizing and thinking there may be something because sometimes the kid's name will come up uh, that and start internalizing as if they're the problem and they're right. and, they're, and it's on them to have the solution even if they're eight or ten or twelve so a lot of these kids feel uh, guilty when adults are always surprised like it's you didn't do anything wrong mm-hmm. type stuff um so that's the first thing and so unfortunately they sometimes use your the young minds to fill in the gaps yeah. to make up stories that make sense to them right and then they also have their own solutions the young mind solutions that run away it's not to go ask for help or, or tell tell another relative or tell a little teacher. Oftentimes, it's sometimes to run away. Uh, sometimes they don't know what to do with themselves. They they'll if they're they'll turn to drugs. They'll turn to screen time to kind of numb numb out, yeah. self soothe and numb out. Um, they'll spend time with their 
other relatives so they can be outside of the house or sleep over at their friend's house so they don't have to face it and listen to the parents etc mm-hmm. um, so kids are very special um, they're uh, and so they really need uh, the ability and uh, to, 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 to to talk with with people that know how to talk with children mm-hmm. sometimes with children it's Art therapy, it's play therapy. It is not young, very young children. It is not to sit down and talk, you know, face yeah, to face like absolutely. you are. So it's it's very specialized stuff. Yeah. Um, the uh, I mean, obviously, the the frontal lobe of the brain for yeah, children and adolescents is is not fully developed. That's right. Um, and that's you know, the executive or decision making part of the brain. And exactly. if you don't have any brain injury, no ADD or no, uh, then typically it's mature about age 25. Yeah. If you have brain injury, if you have ADHD or other thing, drug use, it may mature much later. But those underdeveloped, you know, prefrontal cortex, you know, imp- impulsivity is huge, right? That's right. That's um, and you know, an inability to think through long-term consequences. Right. They're incapable of this. Right. And so, so yeah. And so we can't treat them. We can't depending on the age and also and some people say well they're so mature because there's so much mm. strife in the family so divorce and stuff so the like kids have forced to, to grow up quickly right. yeah I, yeah but they're still children yeah and i i you know they, they 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 do their homework and they don't ask for you know they're not the squeaky wheel they're not asking for a lot of stuff uh and you know some of these kids are super well behaved sure. that's a red flag for me if mm-hmm. you have if you're having family strife and then you have super well behaved kids that usually tells me that they've sensed the tension and they're mm-hmm. not going to discuss what's in their mind and how they're feeling. Yeah. And sometimes they've suppressed, they've never learned what their feelings are. They've never learned how to express them because they've had to suppress them from day one mm-hmm. so that they don't add to the crap that their family has to go through. They don't have to put up with their own, their, their kids' emotions and needs, et cetera. I think we should say something here too, that you know, bullying, you know, other peers, other sure. peers of children can drive kids to this hopeless, helpless state as well. Yeah, very good. Thank you for mentioning that. And you, and we all know this before when you were bullied on the playground this is i'm a guy i grew up with brothers but before you're bullied on the playground or or, or girlfriends dumped you as, as, a, as a friend it was it was shocking it was shameful all sorts of stuff that people felt it was somewhat limited you know it's, it's still but because it ended at school right it tended to end <laughs> stop there leave a, for the day right yeah. a small handful of people knew it it was not spread out yeah. over hundreds of kids etc uh but nowadays it's a it's a disaster uh, uh whenever uh, somebody embarrasses you shames you mm-hmm. uh um uh, in, in on on social media mm-hmm. and it's endless i right. mean you know people screenshot even if people erase things yeah. people screenshot things and pass it around yeah. and it's endless and it's out way out and everywhere outside of school yeah, yeah. absolutely so I think that then that's probably another podcast in and of itself is what sure. parents can do to be in tune to that. But I mean, certainly, you know, taking seriously if your kid comes home from school and saying, you know, my friends dumped me or, right. you know, some somebody's mean to me. Like, you know, I, right. I think sometimes our natural tendency is to be like, oh, well, don't worry about them. You're, your you'll kids. be OK. You have you're other friends. you're yeah. resilient. You have other friends, all that kind of stuff. I mean, even some of those small disclosures can be indicative of a, a deeper underlying problem. That's right. So, um, all right, anything more that you want to say about signs of suicide before we get into how to help? I, I never want to put blame on anybody. You know, um, you and I were talking about this earlier today. 
some things are drizzled. Nobody sits them down and gives you a PowerPoint presentation of all the stuff I've listed mm-hmm. so that you can piece it all together and come to a conclusion that this your child is suicidal or your, your loved one is suicidal. Uh, you know. So they drizzle these things over different people, over right. spread over time, weeks right. to months sometimes. So no one person may not may get three or four or five signs. Maybe mm-hmm. You may only get one or two signs, and it may be spread out, out over time. Uh, so it's hard to sometimes piece it together into a story that says, ah, I need to intercede. The next thing is... Um, is to check yourself uh, whenever before you sit down with somebody. Say, hey, I'm going to ask them if they're suicidal. Make sure that how you how you some of your resources. Make sure how you're going to feel if they say yes or no, or if they get angry mm-hmm. at you for asking. Mm-hmm. Most people don't. Uh, so I want people to kind of be kind of secure. And you don't have to be the expert. You don't have to. You have to sometimes say, hey, I see that you're struggling here. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help. How are you feeling? Right. Well, I'm I'm okay, and so. I'm okay, but you know it's gotten a little bit harder. Well, so you know, is there if we sit down for a second? Well, a little bit later, fine. I'll meet you later. So you have to kind of uh, kind of be flexible. Sure. It's it's not going to be an efficient talk. Sometimes it's like they kind of divulge everything and you 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 know sign them off to right. suicide hotline and you move on. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and I mean, and we're gonna get more into specifics here, but basically, having having the conversation and being a person that is um, trustworthy mm-hmm. and has an an open demeanor when it comes to this kind of stuff yeah, is incredibly point. important. Right. Um, also, you know, we talked a lot about isolation before that, you know, many, many people who are driven to suicide feel completely alone. Yes. Um, whether that's true or, or not in terms it's of perception. the number of people who are connected to them. Right. Um, but if, if there's anything that we can do and that I think we're kind of responsible to as people who are in communities and networks of other people is that, we need to pay attention to the people around Bingo. us and be in tune right. to the kinds of signals people are giving off. Pay att- not that we need to be hyper vigilant and pay attention to everybody's little, you know, differences right. and everything that changes and stuff. But there are, you know, the there's a long list of, of signs and symptoms. Right. And as you said, they drizzle them around like breadcrumbs to different people. Right. And it's never a safe assumption to think to yourself, hmm, that I'm not sure if they're doing okay. I'm right. sure someone else will talk to them about it. That's right. That could be the difference between them living and dying, you know, making that decision. You know, that's, it's um, nowadays that, that we text and we email and mm-hmm. whatever, uh, uh, you know, to do it face-to-face is really important. Right. I think we miss out on a lot in, in the last couple of years with mental health, a lot of mental health going online um, and and mm-hmm. and continuing online, even though we're going back in the office. It bothers me that, 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 um, a lot of patients, a lot of people need to have the face-to-face uh, to, to catch the body language, to do all sorts of things. I think uh, I think it's extremely important, especially for this class, this group of people mm-hmm. um, that uh, that uh, may not open up immediately, uh, but uh, but spend a little bit of time, for, you know, in the same room with them, and you can and and show your openness, just like you said. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to go through a couple of uh, guidelines and resources from here again. The American Federation for Suicide. Um, mm-hmm. uh, prevention um, or foundation rather for suicide prevention. So basically their their first tip is to have honest conversation and that starts with a private setting. So mm-hmm. not springing it on somebody at Thanksgiving dinner or mm-hmm. cornering them at a party or calling them at a time where they're not feeling safe to talk. 
This is a private conversation. Think about like mm-hmm. if you really wanted to have an an, uh, an important conversation with your spouse, what's really important for them to listen to you and to be and for you to be heard and understood. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do it when they're distracted by other things mm-hmm. or when they may not be able to reveal what's what's really going on. Right. So right. Pri- privacy is key. Um, the next biggest tip is to listen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, if you and again, like you said, you have to be flexible in how this works. It's not always going to go in a perfect order. But right. if someone says, you know, yeah, I'm doing OK, but it's been a little harder than normal. You can't just it. You don't want to end the conversation. But like, Oh, OK, good. You're going to be you're going to be all right. right then you can say, hmm, I'm sorry. Tell me. Tell me more about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Keep, you know, just offering keeping it open ended to try and draw out that person, because a lot of times that external processing can be really therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, if, um, you know, you, you, once you, once you've listened, it's critically important to express your care and your, your love for that person, you know, whether it's, whether you feel comfortable saying, Hey, I I love you. Um, or, you know, just, I, you know, I really care that you're struggling, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you're, that you're hurting so much right now. Mm -hmm. Um, that really, you know, solidifies with the person that you're speaking with, you know, that you, you can be trusted because you have this vested interest in them. And then that can lead you into one of the most important parts, which is directly asking about suicide. Yes. Are you, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Do you, do you have a plan to, to hurt yourself? Um, and and that's, uh, people are afraid. By the way, I, I practice it. Yeah. Say it's, it's because it sounds weird. Yeah. Especially if it's not, you know, your partner and stuff where you tend to have more conversations. Practice. Uh, it's okay to practice these things um, and expect different answers. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That role playing that is incredibly important. I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, pr- practicing and preparing yourself for whatever the person has to tell you. Mm-hmm. Right. If you, you know, if you have this vulnerable conversation with somebody and they are, they're opening up and telling you about their struggles and then you ask them if they're considering suicide, they might say yes. That's right. And it's really important to know what to do after that. That's right. That's <laughs> right? right. Yeah. The uh, no, no, oh shit face is like right. oh, oh, the, oh my God, uh, you know, yeah. you, uh, so that's the first thing. Exactly. What you're doing, what you're describing is meeting him where they are. Yes. And that's, and that's, and that's a difficult because all of us have agendas. All of us have timetable that we mm-hmm. all have. We're all busy. Whenever you slow down, really, really slow down, mm-hmm. and understand it's, uh, that you may be there a long, quite a long, bit longer than you expected, and it's okay not yeah. to not to start looking at your watch and tapping your, your fingers, etc. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have to be solution oriented. No, as no, much you're, as, you're being present. Yeah, just your your presence is is enough. That's right. You don't have to be the expert. Exactly. So, um, you know, obviously, we'll, you know, if someone says yes, we want to encourage them to seek treatment, and we'll talk about that more. But these are some really important things that you should avoid. In this circumstance, someone mm-hmm. tells you, yes, I'm considering suicide or I just I don't know what to do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't give advice. Don't mm-hmm. don't give advice. Just listen, mm-hmm. um, especially if someone says they're com- you know considering suicide, debating the value of life mm-hmm. and whether or not suicide is a, a permissible thing to do. Right. or And especially do not add to guilt um, for the person by shaming them with yes. other things that might be. That you might perceive as very important to them in their life. Right. Oh, but your kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, but your wife. Oh, but your beautiful art that you do. All of these things. Right. That is, 
a it's it's just like nails on a chalkboard to someone who is feeling this desperate because That's not right. only are they already aware well aware that, that these are things that they need to think about but it's just like pouring salt in an open wound yes to be reminded of them from another person especially after they've been vulnerable and shared with you it can be so damaging to a relationship to do that mm-hmm. and by the way if you misstep or misspeak you apologize yeah it's okay you know and it's uh, it's it's Physicians, all sorts of people make mistakes all that we make sure. misread and make mistakes all the time and we have to apologize and it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, in the same way that we don't want to, you know, debate the value of their life, we don't want to minimize their problems. No, right. um, it is not the purpose of this conversation is not for you to recontextualize someone's life for them and help them change their perspective. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that you as the outsider are seeing through your perspective Mm -hmm. a a certain perception of this person's life, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. But it's their own perception of Mm -hmm. their life from Mm -hmm. their own perspective that makes their reality. That's right. So it's it's both um, counterproductive and, you know, just unhelpful to try and appeal. And that's why therapists don't give you answers. They they lead you. They ask questions. they, 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 They... challenge some assumptions carefully uh but but that's not your job your job is to to, to hold their hand hold touch your shoulder whatever right. is appropriate uh and listen I, be with I, them while they cry right. uh, you know that's presence correct. is in, incredibly powerful it's not that we're not going to do something to help them more practical yeah. than this but this is the best practice for the average joe like right. you know this is a, you know, i'm not i'm not my family my the people in my family i'm not their doctor yeah so i i'm i'm their husband dad uncle mm-hmm. whatever it is uh, so i'm not their doc I, yeah. just, I don't have a doctor's mind it's just i'm not their doc and so i can sit and listen like an uncle or mm-hmm. this and that's my job i think that there's um you know sometimes this, this false perception that this is like suicide is the territory of professionals only right. Right. um i i flatly deny that honestly i think mm-hmm. that um if there is any purpose to us building relationships with people in our yes. lives, to having families, to having partners, right. to having close friends, like this is the stuff right. that those close relationships right. are for, you know? Absolutely. I think whenever, whenever now sometimes family and loved ones, partners are, are the, 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 the wonderful, the best thing in your life. Sometimes they're mm-hmm. the most horrible. Sure. They, they cut the deepest. Yeah. So we recognize that. But whenever it's at its best, it's life-saving, this, these, this, these, um, these times together, these, yeah. uh, um, these connections. Right. So I think that, um, you know, that kind of feeds into the next point, which is that it, we kind of reiterated the, or mentioned this before, you know, assume you're the only one that's going to reach out. Mm-hmm. Even if you are, are not the closest to the person, right. yes. if you, once again, if you perceive some of these signs and symptoms and wonder, wonder to yourself, hmm, I wonder if they're okay. It is not a safe assumption that their wife is going to take care of it, that they're already talking to their doctor about right. it. Um, sometimes, you know, that that one conversation is all is all it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that you don't have to be the the closest uh, confidant in person to right. another person in order to express care, be a good listener and ultimately uh you know, express to the other person that you believe that their life has value. Even yes. that tiny, you know, even that tiny little like p- 
pledge to your belief, you know, mm-hmm. that, that their life matters can be enough mm-hmm. for them to have the bravery to reach out for help yes. and maybe to reconsider a plan that they had already settled on. So it's this is critically important stuff. And never promise that you're going to keep anything private, that's confidential, mm, yeah. where somebody's going to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, right. homicidal or suicidal or homicidal. Right. We don't do it for children. We don't. I got to keep any secrets. We don't do it for adults. So never ever feel trapped that you that you're the you're the last person mm. in, the, in the path between them and suicide. Yeah. Uh, that's too big of a response. No, nobody, not, right. not, not even medical professionals, uh, to take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes we're, we're talking about the people who are oftentimes the first pe- person to hear from the, from their loved one or their friend, uh, you know, that something's happening that's beyond the typical difficult days, difficult sadness. Um, right. Uh, and so you're not, the, you're not the last person to block them from suicide. Yeah, absolutely. You're not the last person, you're not the last line of defense, but right. you saying something could that's be in, you know, enough to help. That's right. Um, just listening to them could be enough to make turn, help turn things around towards a positive. Mm-hmm. So um, finally, we're going to end with some tips here again um, from the same foundation for suicide prevention um, about what you should do if a person says yes, they are considering suicide. Mm -hmm. So um, first, and I think very importantly, take them seriously. That's right. Um, It's incredibly important not to just brush it off as, oh, this is an act. Oh, this is, you know. Attention seeking or they've, mm -hmm. they've said it before, they tried it before. Right. Yes. Right. Take them seriously. And a lot of times that that's not, oh, you're immediately picking up the phone to call the cops or forcing them into inpatient right. or anything. That's not what we're advocating here. This is just a, just a, a, a statement to this person that I, you know, I, I believe you and I, I think this is serious. That's right. Um, and, you know, I, I want you to get help. So um, another thing that's important to do is stay with them mm-hmm. or, um, you know, have facil- facilitate another person being able to stay with them. That's right. These are types of handoffs, phys- yeah. physical handoffs uh-huh. so that somebody's there. Um, uh, and, and this is and this the shame of it all is that sometimes they'll step into a bathroom and while you're waiting for them, you're there, but you're 12 feet away. So that's yeah. that's sometimes the scary stuff, unfortunately. Sure. Uh, not to not to frighten people, but it's it's different levels of suicidality. But yeah. let's assume that the worst right now, right? And, and you're there, you're there to watch them. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, to avoid them going into a bathroom and taking a handful of pills, you can start by just helping them remove lethal means. Like, I know you're feeling, I know you're feeling incredibly intensely about this right now that these thoughts are like right at the forefront of your brain. Mm -hmm. Let's remove the Mm -hmm. immediate Mm -hmm. access to these solutions. Mm -hmm. So can I take your guns? Mm -hmm. Can I take your drugs? Can I, keys to your car? Can I take the keys to your car? Yep. Um, you're you're gonna get all of these things back, mm-hmm. but for now, while you're yep. in crisis, right. let's just remove this as a temptation. Um, yep. Or, while your while your brain's not working right, well. Right. Exactly. Parasites taking over. Right. While right. the alien has is invading and, and hij- running the ship. Yeah. Your absolutely. Your brain's been hijacked. That's right. correct. Um, of course, call nine eight eight nine eight eight or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, this is an important thing that this site mentioned that I hadn't really thought about per, before, but consider sitting with the person as they call. Yes. or call or I've done asking, it before. Asking them if they want you to mm-hmm. call for them. That can um, 
really lend a lot of moral support mm-hmm. um, and make the you know make the transition to talking to a stranger on the phone less mm-hmm. scary and feel less risky. That's right, and you can step away after Absolutely. they get started. You can step yeah. away, yeah, of course, be an earshot just in case they need somebody right to help, etc. I think sometimes there's a misconception about these hotlines or calls that it's the same thing as calling nine one one that the, the police, police are going to show right. up and arrest you and force you into inpatient. Like right. that's not how this works. No. Um, and we've learned so much about suicide prevention in the last, you know, 40 years in the United States or whatever, that that's why there are so many of these resources available. They have mm-hmm. trained professionals on or trained volunteers sometimes on the other end of the line that are trained to have these conversations and help people get immediately safe. Right. Um, and then get connected with resources that can help them ongoing. And, and sometimes people are closer to, instead of picking up the phone, if they want to go to the emergency room, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say e- that. Yeah. All ERs ha- are, have to have ha- had to deal with suicidality. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know the ERs are not the most comforting and comfortable places. Right. But it's, it's just a way to enter the medical system. Yeah. Uh, if you've, and oftentimes, even if you've seen a psychiatrist, et cetera, they'll yeah. oftentimes send you, they won't take the responsibility of bringing you to the office. They'll send you to the emergency room for, or, or intake at a, if it's during regular business hours yeah. for uh, a mental health uh, facility intake, mm-hmm. which is oftentimes separate from the ERs. Uh, after hours, the, the ERs do do uh, do assessments, and uh, oftentimes, sometimes will do the intake if they need to admit you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, so they have social workers or, or psychologists or as a professional counselors sure. uh, available. So absolutely, it's the easiest to reach for a phone. All of us are carrying phones. Right. Next, uh, next best thing is, of course, um, is uh, is physically to go someplace where they can assess you and keep you safe. Yeah, absolutely, and of course, you know, escorting your the, you know. A, a person who, who needs help or moral support getting to the ER mm-hmm. or to a mental health support facility, like, mm-hmm. go go with them. Right. <laughs> Don't make them go alone no. or, you know, call right. an ambulance or something like that. Don't call like an Uber yeah. or exactly. taxi. No. Exactly, yeah. Go, right. go with them and help them get connected. So these are important. All these are handoffs that are extremely important mm-hmm. of, the, of the physical person. Um, of information right. sometimes if you if you can't make it there somebody has to drive them that you call the ER and say hey I have this information blah 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 because mm-hmm. you know uh, and that's what we do from the offices is, you know I'm not going to go with the patient when we call the ambulance to take a person from the office but I will call the triage nurse and, mm-hmm. uh, and tell him her what what's, what's happening going on. And what, yeah yeah mm-hmm. absolutely so I mean this these are this is a toolkit right this is a toolkit that we're presenting right. to people. Obviously, you know, if, if you're the one that's that's feeling suicidal, um, reach out for help in, in the same ways. Talk to somebody that you love and trust. Um, talk to your health care provider. Your, your primary care physician would be a great place to start. Um, a lot of workplaces have, like, employee support services that mm-hmm. could connect you with suicide prevention resources or mental health resources. And don't be satisfied with just pills. So mm. a lot of depressed people, a lot of anxious people, a lot of people mm. who can't sleep, who may become suicidal. Uh, obviously, I'm a primary care physician. Medicines were the first thing I would reach for. I would yeah. tell them about psychiatry, blah, 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 but the medicines I could prescribe on the spot. Um, I think as we all know medicines work, and, and, and especially moderate to severe depression are sure. very especially helpful. What people don't do is, is get uh, help understand, yeah. uh, help reflect, help reframe, mm-hmm. and that comes from good talk therapy. Absolutely, and that's and that's what we're missing a lot of in the United States is 
that upfront before medicines or mm-hmm. long medicines. It's easier to prescribe a medicine. I could do it over the phone. Mm-hmm. Much harder to get in with a good therapist that you establish a relationship and able to to un, to, to, to to have insight about your own right. distorted thinking whenever yeah. you're this severely depressed or anxious or suicidal. Of course. I think most of our conversation has been limited, or especially the second half has been limited to kind of like immediate triage yes. for, you know, help it, helping a person who is, you know, acutely suicidal or what to do for yourself if you're acutely suicidal. Yes. But it, it really all does come back to um, reframing thought processes. Mm-hmm. Good medications can help, but it's, it doesn't replace learning how learning. to deal with those intrusive thoughts with That's persistent right. feelings of suicidality. If you feel su- if you go through a period of suicidality, mm-hmm. it's likely it'll happen to you again at some point. Mm-hmm. So you're going right. you need to equip yourself with coping skills and a toolkit that and a support system of people that you can rely on that you can say, "Hey, you know, that I can't trust myself right now. I can't trust how I see myself right now. I can't trust right. what I am feeling impulsive about right now." That's correct to reach out and help. And you're not going to acquire those skills by just calling 988 when you're in crisis or reaching for a pill. It's got to be a practice. Right. We need some immediate stuff that your friends are able to do. Then the Mm -hmm. next step is the suicide hotline and and ERs or Mm -hmm. your physicians. And the next and along somewhere along there also the good good talk therapy that's extremely good good excellent article. I think we'll put this on our site also from New York Times. Uh, The best tool we have for self harming and uh, for self harming and suicidal teens is talks about dialectical behavioral therapy as being Mm. uh, one of the best tools. Right. uh, Because there are no pills specifically for anti suicide. We have pills for help with depression, anxiety, yeah. but no pills is to blunt the suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Um, but so, so uh, here is dialectical, which is a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it's an intensive type of therapy, right. but it's uh, it's, uh, it's life saving uh, for a lot of people, including mm-hmm. our suicidal and self harming teens. We didn't even talk about the people who scratch and hit themselves and yeah, cut and sure. burn and stuff like that. So yeah, there's a lot more to talk about for children and teenagers. You're you're not you're not alone. Um, uh, you don't have to keep secrets of your friends who are suicidal mm-hmm. uh, and who've kind of burdened you and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I know you're responsible. Uh, you, you feel responsible. Uh, you're not the adult. You're not the doc. You're not the nurse. Uh, so you're a friend. And that's right. what I want to make sure that for youngsters uh, that they somehow go through the through life carrying these burdens for their own burdens, let alone other people's burdens. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, that you, you you need as much help as the adults do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Dr. Chadros, I know there's so much more we could say on this. Um, I think our, you know, again, our our big goal today was just to really, um, you know, shine some light on the lived experience of people who struggle with, you know, suicidal ideation and persistent thoughts of suicide and even who complete it, that these are um, good people who are in a ton of pain. Yes. Who um, are in search of relief from relentless, unbearable pain. That's right. Um, if you haven't experienced that for yourself, you probably know someone who has experienced it or even is experiencing it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best thing that we can do to support those people is to view them with compassion um, and to have enough compassion for them that it compels us to pay attention mm-hmm. and yes. to be available to listen. 
and just uh, we're coming up on the holidays here. We're in yeah. the holidays when you hear this podcast. Um, it's not everything is uh, peaches and cream, uh, just because it's joyful and presents and uh, and family time. Sometimes that just reminds people how alone yeah. uh, alone they feel. Um, and they should they should be feeling better. They ought to be feeling better. And they're failing themselves and their family. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's uh, uh, it's time to uh, have a chance to, to 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 if you catch your loved ones, relatives that you don't get to see throughout the year, etc. Mm-hmm. That uh, it's okay it's okay to sit aside and talk to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, you know, for um, you know the rest of us are just like looking for like what what can I do? Mm-hmm. I think. Um, just looking for opportunities to build connection with other people. Again, you know, around the holidays. It's right. If you if you know if you know someone that you work with, their family lives out of town. Oh, what mm-hmm. are you planning to do for the holiday? Oh, I'm just going to be at home. Why don't you come over and have dinner with us? That's or come right. over for dessert or whatever. Those are those small gestures can make the world of difference, right? That's right. Um, and it it doesn't cost us much individually right. to make to make that effort. Even the invitation mm-hmm. alone can be very powerful. Yes. So. Um, again, we, we've been through a lot today. We've talked about a lot. Obviously, if you're in immediate crisis or know someone who's in immediate crisis, please use your resources, especially the national hotline 988, um, or go to your nearest emergency room. We want people to be as safe as possible. Um, but I also hope anyone who's listening that you feel a little more empowered after listening to this. Mm-hmm. I know it was some heavy content and some heavy stuff, but we, we are in this community of humans together that's right and humans deal with all kinds of difficult things and we need each other we need to rely on each other to make it through hard times mm-hmm. um and i believe that each of us has what it takes yep. to survive hard things and also to help one another through hard things so and, and this um and and it's not something we wish on anybody, but this a way is a way. It's one of the ways you learn about yourself and about other people's pains, and this is what gives us part of the way we get empathy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not wanted. We wouldn't wish this on ourselves or anybody mm-hmm. else. But it's since uh, so many people suffer, it's one of the ways to become emp- empathic for all sorts of people in all sorts of conditions. Absolutely, Vanessa. Thank you for sharing uh, your part of what happened in your youth. Yeah, and you're you're a stronger person for our for the people who come through our doors mm-hmm. because you're a role model for them and you model some excellent beliefs and thought processes and kindness. Uh, so I appreciate it. Thank Pe- you. Peace be with you. <laughs> and with you as well. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. Again, this is going to be our last episode for 2022. We'll be back with you again in January. Please send us some feedback. We really want to hear your questions, your thought about the podcast, topics you'd like us to cover, um, you know, interview suggestions, any of those things. You can reach us. The best way to reach us is at notyourdocpod at gmail.com. The email notyourdocpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. Leave us a comment. Send us a message. We really want to connect and make this podcast into something that feels relevant and helpful. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really grateful to you, Dr. Tadros. Right. So we've been able to put this together and grateful to Seth for producing it for us. Seth and is always sitting in. You may not see or hear him, but he's mm-hmm. always he's always here. He's always there. Absolutely. Well, everybody, we wish you a a wonderful and happy holiday season through the end of 2022. We are going to see you in the new year. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye now.
this previous podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.